scripture reading is from Romans 1, verses 1 through 7, 16. In addition to your own Bible, you may find it on the back side of your message notes or beginning on page 804 in your worship Bible. Please follow along as I read. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is in the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This is the word of God. Thank you. We're considering a very short series of messages today, a follow-up to our study of the book of Acts, which we called Ecclesia Unleashed, which is the church, the Bible word for church was the word ecclesia, and in the book of Acts we find that story of how that ecclesia, that called, gathered, sent community grew and spread across the world until it ends in Rome with Paul, though he's imprisoned, preaching freely, boldly, and unhindered. That's the end of Acts, the first chapter, the first uh, the prequel, I guess you say. But we're looking at what we're calling now in this four-week series, we're in the second week of it, Acts Unleashed Part 2 or act two, when we're asking ourselves the question, given what we understand about the nature of the kingdom of God as revealed through the the book of Acts, what are we supposed to learn about ourselves as a church? Who are we supposed to be and to become? And if you have, I I meant to put it in the program here, but I forgot to do that. On the backside of your your bulletin, we have here our basic uh, statement that we use that I hope you are somewhat familiar with that I'm using as a guide as I talk through this. Look on the backside of it in the middle of that where it says, who's Ecclesia, Church at the Chip, Skipping the first paragraph, you see in the middle of it says, as living witnesses of God's new creation in Christ Jesus, Ecclesia is a community of faith, love, and hope. Called to faith in the gospel of Jesus, gathered in love as the community of Jesus, and sent with hope on the mission of Jesus. Called and gathered and sent. Called to faith, gathered in love, sent with hope called to faith in the gospel, gathered in love as a community, sent with hope on a mission, and all these are in the name of who? In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. As we sang earlier, in the name of Jesus we pray. These, and we're going to take a look at that first of those three major characteristics, called to faith in the gospel of Jesus, and that's what we're calling this topic gospel, community, mission. And if you looked at this text as Pat read it for you, the words of that phrase, called to faith in the gospel of Jesus, are found several times in this text right here in Romans. I didn't have her read, <clears throat> excuse me. I didn't have her read the whole section. We're actually looking at verses 1 through 17, really. I had to read most of it. But notice that this, twice in this text, Paul talks about being called. Verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be apostle. To all, verse 7 now, 
to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Now, we might look at the first one and think, oh, Paul was called to be an apostle, right? But notice what the second one says in the seventh verse. We're all called to be saints. That means to be the people of God. That when you responded to the gospel message, you responded to a call which God had been calling out to you. All right? Called. And then called to faith in the gospel, the second of those three main words. The word faith is actually found here at least one, two, three, uh, four, five, six, virtually about seven times throughout this text, the word faith and one time the word believe. Notice what it says. Verse 5, through whom we receive grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for his name's sake. Verse 8, your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Verse 12, encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine, and especially now, verse 16 and 17, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for everyone who believes, another word which speaks about faith. For it is the righteousness of God that is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live, the righteous shall live by faith, called to faith, right here in this text. And then four times in this text, the word gospel is used. Verse 1, set apart for the gospel of God. Verse 9, my, God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. Verse 15, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of, of God. So we see these three words are not just some that were invented by, you know, an imaginative preacher wanting to have a, a something clever to say about the church. No, these come directly out of Scripture. Now, one of the things that's important for us to know if we are going to be a true ecclesia is that we are called to faith in the gospel of Jesus. Now, I want to take a look especially at that third part of that, the gospel. What is the gospel? What do we mean when we speak about the gospel? Now, many of you think, oh, I've got this one nailed. But I trust that as you hear me talk about this, I want to take a look at the gospel from three different vantage points, three different perspectives that will give to you a wider range as to what Paul is talking about when he talks and when the Scriptures talk about the gospel. Tragically, many even devout followers of Jesus, people who've placed their faith in Jesus Christ, have shrunk the gospel down way too small. So the gospel is only how I can get right with God to get me to heaven, God's special little magic plan to get me into heaven. That's all that it's about, and getting other people to affirm that special magic little plan. Well, the gospel includes that, but it's so much wider and richer and more uh, uh, whole than that. The truly, truly, in fact, when we come together every Sunday morning, we come to reaffirm the gospel, the good news about Jesus, and it changes everything. Well, we could say it this way. Many people... Many Christians look at the gospel as sort of like the ABCs of the Christian faith. A, admit you're a sinner. B, believe in Jesus. C, commit your life to Jesus, right? Which, of course, is true. That's good to remember that. I hope you do that. <laughs> I hope you will do that. But really, the gospel is not merely the introductory, the elementary, the, the ABCs of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, but they're, they're the, it's the A through Z. It really encompasses all of what it is that we are about. The gospel is wide-ranging and all-encompassing. So let's look at this gospel, this beautiful gospel 
from three different perspectives that the Apostle Paul outlines here in this text, okay? Gospel, let's look at gospel, first of all, from a Roman perspective. And I, got, I gave you the notes easy. I, I thought I'd try to make it simple on Michelle. I apologize for how difficult I made it last week for you, uh, last week. And uh, hopefully you won't have to do this. Uh, the, the moving of the slides will go pretty simple, okay? In the first few verses, I'm going to start with the fourth verse in this part of the topic. We're going to see what the Apostle Paul meant when he said the gospel and how they heard it from a Roman perspective because this is his letter to the Romans. Remember, we left Paul. He was in Rome, in prison, preaching the gospel boldly and without hindrance. Well, Paul was actually there by letter before he was there in person. He wrote this letter probably about two years before he showed up in Rome himself. In fact, this letter was his effort to set forth his gospel, the way he understood the gospel. That's why he uses the word gospel more times, more compactly in this section of his writings than anywhere else in all of his writings. And so these people who were hearing him were Roman uh, people who were hearing of this word gospel from the lens, from the point of view of their own Roman background. What was that? Well, we're going to talk about that in a minute. Hopefully, you'll be able to track with me. But let's see it first of all in the text. Notice what it says in the verses four through. Uh, I'll read uh, the verses one through uh, four through seven here. The, uh, well, let me let me lead up to it. When it says, he says, the gospel set apart for verse one, the gospel according to God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets concerning his son. Of course, that's Jesus who was, in verse 4, declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, if you were a good Roman citizen, you would never say that. You would never say, Jesus Christ is Lord. What would you say? Caesar is Lord. Those were mutinous, traitorous words. He's saying something to these Roman citizens about the essence of the gospel from a Roman perspective. Christ Jesus our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations, all the nations, not just these, this Jewish band from Jerusalem, but all the nations, Jesus is Lord. Yeah. Every, well... Every culture has a hard time realizing that there is a lordship going beyond national identity. We have that trouble today too, don't we? They had it back then. Jesus is Lord to all those in Rome. So we see, let's think about this from uh, uh, Rome's perspective. And so I want to give to you a bit of a history lesson on Rome so you can see how the word gospel would have sounded to them. You're hearing the word gospel from your 21st century American Christian perspective. Well, what would the word gospel have sounded like to them? Well, let's go back with a little bit of history. You remember a guy named Julius Caesar, right? Have you heard of him? All right. Julius Caesar was assassinated in 44 B.C. Before this time, Rome had been a republic, but now he wanted to become the sole man in charge. He'd conquered so many, he was coming back, and I think it was the Rubicon he crossed, or I forget exactly. Thank you. Uh, oh, yeah, I should have you next to me just in case. Um, and this was when he made the decision, I'm going to be the sole 
king and in power. And he was then assassinated because he wanted to be the sole ruler, the emperor in charge of Rome. He was assassinated. And from that point on, there was a 13-year civil war which ensued between those who had killed him and wanted him dead and those who had wanted him to become the emperor of Rome, those who wanted to avenge his death. For 13 years, Rome was involved in a bloody civil war led primarily by Octavian, the adopted son of, 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 of Caesar, who teamed with Mark Antony against Brutus and Cassius, Brutus who had killed him. But once Brutus was defeated in that civil war, Antonio and Mark Antony and Octavian became rivals for power. They both wanted the top place for themselves. And so the war continued. And ultimately, in a crucial battle on September 2nd, 31 B.C., Octavian's navy won. Antony went to Egypt with someone. Do you know who? Yes, you got it, Cleopatra. We always got to have the, the sex in this story to make it interesting, right? Cleopatra, and there they both committed suicide in Egypt, and, uh, you know, uh, it, it, and that was the end of all of that. And, now, uh, and they committed suicide there. And so Octavian, who ultimately became Caesar Augustus, uh, was going to be the key leader. This happened in 31 B.C. Now, what happened during the course of this long civil war in Rome? There were many hardships, many rumors, many worries, many frustrations. It was a bad time in Rome while this civil war was going on. What's going to be happening? What's going to go on? What's, who's going to win? Who, whose side am I on? Right? That kind of thing is going on. Then they get them Ultimately, they get the news that Octavian Caesar has won, that, uh, that Mark Antony is dead, and that Caesar is now the ruler of the Roman world. He is the master of the Roman world. We would say he is the Lord, we would say perhaps, of Rome. This is in 31 B.C. It, this is good news if you were a supporter of Octavian Caesar. Every Roman citizen, we're talking about something only 70 or so years after that, or 80, 100 years maybe after that, would have known that story. That was part of their whole story. Now, what was this? The news would have come into Rome about this battle that had happened, but where had the battle happened? It had happened in the ocean, right? And it took two full years before Caesar actually came back to assume his rightful place as king of Rome, as emperor of Rome. And so let's see what this means. This good news that was announced about the, uh, the, 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 the coming of the kingdom through Caesar took two years to come into place. So I want you to think about two, three things about this whole story. First of all, this news was about something that had happened. It was something that had happened. How did the news arrive there in Rome? It didn't arrive by the newspaper. <laughs> It didn't arrive by the TV. They didn't look it up on the internet. How did it arrive? You, you, we, we forget it. There was no mass media. In fact, the only mass media that existed in the first centuries was, were, were, were coins. That's why coins were so important, the way they were inscribed. That's the way you could get a message out with all those coins. There was no, how was the message that Caesar had, or that, I'm going to call him a Caesar, that Caesar had, uh, uh, had won, how did that get back? It came back through Messengers, angelos, angels, not angels like you think of, but 
Anglos, and they gave the good message. They gave the Evangelion. They gave the gospel, the good news. That's what the word gospel is. When a herald would show up, you know, the king is one, and the heralds come, and they say, good news, good news. Caesar has won, and the news travels. And now you know the victory is assured, and soon the king will come back and assume his rightful place. This was an announcement that was made. Extra, extra, read all about it. Good news. When, when the word gospel is used, that's what it means. The gospel is not good advice. It's good news about something that has happened. And in that case, the good news, if you were a supporter of Caesar, was that Caesar had beaten up on Mark Anthony, and he was going to be the, the new king of, the, uh, of Rome. Now, this is, an, this is an essential difference between Christianity and other faiths is because when Christianity makes good news about Jesus, we're not just giving good advice. We're not just telling a story that has a, a good moral to it, but we're talking about the fact that Jesus Christ is king of the world, that Jesus had conquered sin and death. This has happened. So that was good news about something that had happened. It was also the gospel, from a Roman perspective, was news about something that would happen. Not just that had happened, but that would happen. You're there in Rome. You've heard the news in about 30 B.C. that Caesar Augustus has taken power, but it's still going to be two, we don't know how long it'll be, but in fact it turned out to be two years hence. Two years from then, first he had to consolidate his victory in Egypt, it would be nearly two years before he finally went to Rome. He went, he went uh, into Egypt, made sure he had a base there. And when Caesar arrived, he would reward his friends, punish his enemies. The world would never be the same. In fact, Rome changed because of all of that. You see, but this was still two years away. It was still a future time when Caesar would come back and assume his rightful place as king of the kingdom. For the moment, Romans were living in between two times between the event that had just happened, Augustus' victory, and the event that would soon happen, Augustus' return, and the fully setting up of his kingdom. Maybe you see where this is going. So, the good news from a Roman perspective was news about something that had happened. It was news about something that would happen, and it was news, thirdly, about something that changed everything. Your life changed in Rome once you got the news about Caesar Augustus's kingdom. If you supported Octavian, the news would change your life right now. Everything would look different. The world was going to change completely. Your life right now would be different. It was still a future reality when Augustus came back, but now you knew who was really in charge. Now there was no uncertainty. Now the way you were living changed. The news about what had happened and the resulting reality about what would happen would utterly change how you saw Rome and how you lived there. So this is what the gospel would have sounded like. So when Paul comes in and he proclaims this gospel about a new Lord, his name is Jesus. You see the political overtones of that? You see also the parallel between the events of Jesus' life, that Jesus himself had been engaged in a battle between good and evil, and that he gave his life. But, and it looked like death had beaten him, but Jesus was raised from the dead, and he was alive today. There were more than 500 witnesses who had seen him, and many more thousands of people who were beginning to follow him and said they felt the presence of his spirit in their life. And so the world had changed, and people were still citizens of a current country, but their allegiance was to Jesus. This is how the gospel would have looked. See, what is the gospel in this context? 
The gospel in this context is the good news that the crucified and risen Jesus is the Messiah of Israel and therefore the Lord of the world. It was news about something that had happened. Jesus had died and raised from the dead. It was news about something that will happen. Jesus will come again to restore his rightful kingdom here on this earth one day soon, remaking this world. And it was news that fundamentally changed your whole perspective on life. This is what the gospel would have sounded like to those Roman, Roman believers. Well, before we move to the next of the three points we have today, the second perspective, maybe it's time for you to ask yourself, do you believe the good news? The good news about Jesus. Are you still living as if something else or someone else or some, you know, some other thing is in charge? No, the truth of the matter is Jesus is raised from the dead. Jesus will return, and the whole world looks different as a result. We should believe the good news and alter our lives accordingly. That's one thing we're trying to do is to believe this good news because in the meantime, between Jesus' victory and his ultimate return, things can get pretty messy, and it can be very uh, discouraging sometimes. Well, that's what the good news would have sounded like from a Roman perspective. How would the gospel of Jesus have sounded from a Jewish perspective? Let's go on to the next one then. From the Jewish perspective, the one thing that the apostle Paul does at the opening part of this, te- this uh, message, this uh, uh, book, is he sets the story of Jesus right in the middle of the Jewish story. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. He's tying Jesus to the Old Testament Scriptures and to the prophetic witness concerning, verse 3, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh. He sets him right in the middle of that Davidic tradition and was declared declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of the holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. See, the gospel is the good news that the crucified and risen Jesus is the Messiah of Israel and therefore the Lord of the whole world. So if you were a Jew hearing that story about the good news, the gospel, you would have understand Evangelion. You would, tell, you would have understand the good news. But what is the good news if you are a Jewish person who's awaiting for a Messiah? Well, what is it? It's that of all things, that Messiah was Jesus. And that it wasn't just a man who died. It was God who died and was raised from the dead to bring about the fulfillment of the promises, the age-old promises that have been given to the people of Israel. And so very briefly, we've talked about this at other times, so just very briefly, there is this big epic story that is the true story of the world from the Jewish perspective and, in fact, from the Christian perspective as well because the Christian story comes directly out of the Jewish story. And that is a story about creation made by one true God who created this world on purpose by design And we see in that story, and I've given you the panorama of the whole scriptural story there, that first of all, it was a beautiful creation, not here by accident, but by design. But that it is a broken creation that God and His love gave to us the freedom to choose, and we chose to rebel against Him. We fired God, wanted to run this world on our own. And instead of building this world according to principles which loved and served others, we built this world according to principles which loved and served us. 
which would be fine if everybody wanted did things my way. But the problem is, you want the same issue. <laughs> you want things done your way. And so in Genesis 3 through 11, we find that creation is broken. This beautiful creation has been marred and broken. But that in verse chapter 12 of Genesis, uh, through that whole Old Testament story, we see that this brokenness, this beautifully broken world could not be fixed by humans. We were responsible for its demise. We needed someone from outside. And in fact, God had come and began to rescue this world, thirdly, through Abraham and the covenant of Israel. And then ultimately, from the Christian perspective, through Jesus, that final faithful Israelite who fulfilled the law and met its demands and died under its curse for our benefit, was raised from the dead so that the promise given to Abraham could now be uh, disseminated throughout the world because when God called Abraham, he didn't just say, I'm going to bless you, but he said in Genesis 12, and through you, all nations of the world would be blessed. God's plan was never just for Israel. His plan was never just for a plot of land in Sinai or in, in Palestine. His plan was for the whole world. His plan was for the whole people. His plan was for all time. God wants to redeem time and space and matter through Jesus Christ. And so there is renewed creation through Jesus. Yes, this is how the gospel would have appeared that the long-awaited hope of Israel had been fulfilled through Jesus. Well, let's then look thirdly at the gospel of Jesus from a personal perspective. Verse 14, the gospel of Jesus from a personal perspective. See, this big story, we're meant to find ourselves in the midst of that big story, that there is a personal response that each of us has. And this is where we often thin the gospel down just to this part. We don't see it in the larger story. The gospel is a personal gospel with implications for my life. What must I do? First of all, I must receive the good news by faith. Receive the good news by faith. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. For in, the, in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. If you want in on this story, you need to respond in faith. You need to grasp hold in faith. It's all been done for you. All you need to do is simply receive this gift that God is giving to you. That's all you got to do, but you got to do it. It doesn't happen just because you showed up here in church today. It doesn't happen just because you read your Bible last week. It doesn't happen because you just put money somewhere for a good cause. It doesn't happen just because you're trying to be a good person. No, it's all been done. The rescue has been done, and I must receive that gospel by faith. Receive the finished work of Jesus by faith. If you've not done that, that's the part, the step that you need to take. I implore you, respond in faith to the gospel of Jesus. It's a personal message. We must respond to it. No. It's the true story of the world, this beautiful, broken, rescued, renewing world, but I must respond to it. It's a true story about what God has done in the actions of Jesus and the lordship that Jesus has over the whole world. But I must respond to it. If you've not responded 
Delay no more. Number two, though, let the good news change your life. Let the good news change your life. It said it is the power of God to salvation. We tend to think of salvation, unfortunately, and we don't have time to talk about it as we'd like. We tend to think about salvation as just that thing that happens when I die, that I get saved at the end, and I get to be with God. So that I made this commitment to God, and therefore, at the end, I get salvation. But that's, again, the biblical story of salvation is so much bigger and grander than that. It includes that, but it's not limited to that. It's the creating of a whole new you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Your whole life becomes new. And so what you're trying to do in your life is to allow that good news to change your life, to let it be the, the lens through which you view everything in this world, to learn what it means, as the Scripture says, to take every thought captive to the obedience that comes from Christ, a new lens, a new grid. You know, I notice that when I wear certain kinds of sunglasses, I see the world differently. You ever drive along and everything looks really green, and you take out those glasses, it doesn't look quite so green. Have you ever noticed that? So I put the glasses back on because I like the way it looks better. We see we need for the gospel to become the lens through which we see everything, our political views, our relational views, the way we view our sexuality, the way we spend our money, the way we relate to people, the way we repeat to those people we don't even, the, the way we relate to those people we don't even like. We're trying to allow the gospel to shape our lives because it is the power of God unto salvation, wholeness, full salvation, Yes, let the power, of the, and that's really why we gather, because we want this gospel to work through us. Because if we're not carry, careful, the wrong stories will shape our lives. We'll take advantage of people, try to get ahead on people. We won't tell the truth to people. Oh, we just create a lot of mess. We need the gospel planted to bloom in our hearts. And then number three, share the good news with everyone. He says, for I, in verse 14, I am under obligation to Greeks and barbarians, the wise and the foolish, and I am eager to preach the gospel even to you Romans. <laughs> I want to talk it to you. We should be sharing the good news with others. So what does it mean to be called to faith in the gospel of Jesus? Yes, from a Roman perspective, it's to understand that Jesus is the king of the earth. From a Jewish perspective, it's to understand that Jesus is the Messiah, who gave his life and suffered and rose again from the dead. And that then changes everything about the way the world is. And then from a personal perspective, I must respond in faith. And so I ask you as we close our time this morning, will you respond in faith to the gospel of Jesus? Let's pray as we close. Dear Jesus, we want to be called to faith in the gospel. Everyone believes something. We want to believe the truth about life. We ask that you'd help us to respond in faith to your good news. And there might be some here today who've been kind of, you know, attracted to this story and feel the Holy Spirit say to them, okay, here it is. Will you trust me? Will you believe in me? Will you put your faith in me? Help them to say yes. And to do just even those ABCs I talked about earlier to admit that they need you, to believe that you died and rose again for them, and to commit their lives to you. As simple as that. In Jesus' name I pray.